Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? My name's Aaron. I'm the pastor. And if we've never met, it is a pleasure that you are here with us this morning. You can be here a million different places. So Home Alone, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. I can remember as a kid uh, when we would get out the VHS taped from TV version that we had in our house. And uh, we'd typically not have rewound it from the last time we've had it. If you're under the age of like 20, a VCR was this thing we used to play movies on before Netflix. And um, it was really interesting. But I can remember I would sometimes like throughout the year, I would rewind just to the moment where he had set his booby traps and like it was on. And I look back and I kind of feel like a, a little bit of like a weird person. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe some of you already know this. That like my favorite part of a Christmas movie, or maybe my favorite Christmas movie of all time, was seeing some people get annihilated by household items. And then when I was a kid, I would think through when my parents would leave me alone sometimes, like, okay, what's my game plan? Okay, I know where the iron is. Uh, I think we have some old paint cans. But I love this movie. Now, show of hands real quick, um, quick poll. There's Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2. Uh, Who would say Home Alone 1 is the best one? All right, Home Alone 2? All right, if anyone says three or above, you can leave. I'm just kidding. But seriously, questionable judgment of wisdom. No, Home Alone is such a great movie. Uh, although, the, can we just talk about for the second the sequel? How in the world do these people, like, how is there even a third movie where they get to have their children back? Like, you'd think once you lose your children like that many times, like CPS should be called. But anyways... Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about hope, and we're going to talk about Home Alone. And I want to talk in particular about two two truths, two things that I want us to maybe um, glean from uh, this movie as we're going to dive into looking at it through the lens of Scripture. It's just this. It's just this idea of, of loneliness not being something that is in God's plan for you and hope. And talk about where our source of hope is and what hope does for us. So would you guys pray with me this morning as we're going to open up God's Word? God, we thank you so much for the fact that, God, you are not a God who is boxed in by uh, different things that we try to box you in by. That, God, even a movie like Home Alone, that, God, we can find you in your truth. That, God, we can experience the goodness of your gospel and we can learn things through them. So, God, this morning, would you uh, have me be quiet and would just your voice speak words of hope and words of affirmation to your sons and your daughters? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, if you don't remember the movie that well, here's the gist of the movie. Kevin McAllister is this nine-year-old boy who desperately does not want to go with his family. Uh, he, he, he's just sort of uh, fed up with his family. Which, I mean, again, the older I get, sometimes I can relate a little bit to Kevin. I'm going to be honest. Like, sometimes you're like, you know, I love you, family, but I can understand maybe there's like a little bit of a separation at times. You spend... Four days trapped with uh, all of your siblings and all of their children and stuff like that in a small house. You start to feel that. I'm feeling that right now a little bit myself. You know, after a while, you're like, I'm good. And so uh, Kevin decides, he just tells him, like, I don't want to see any of you anymore. You all are a bunch of jerks. Like, forget you. And he gets his wish, right? He wakes up the next day, and his parents have forgotten him. And his parents and all of his family are flying to Paris, France, not Texas. And as they're flying, that's when the mother finally realizes that she has left behind her son. And then Kevin has the rest of this movie to survive on his own, to experience what it would be like to be alone. But during this time, there are the wet bandits, these these evil enemy uh, bumbling burglars who are trying their best to figure out how they're going to get 
this one house, which I don't understand why. It seems like it was a nice neighborhood. Why would you pick the house with the kid who obviously seems to be a little bit crazy and you keep going after them? Also, can we talk about for a second, this movie threw my, my mind off about crowbars. I thought crowbars were just something that were only used for like burglaries. I didn't realize they had actual functions until later in life. But so Kevin, obviously, he goes through this whole thing where he's going to defend his house. He's by himself. He can do this on his own, even though he wants his family back. And we find in the movie, though, that despite Kevin's amazing plans, despite all his booby traps, despite the fact that scientifically the burglars should have been dead about 10 seconds into the movie when they're getting hit with all the stuff, it's not enough. And Kevin, in the end, needs someone to help him out. So let's talk about loneliness for a second. You know, researchers are starting to say that loneliness is one of the greatest health epidemics in the world right now. There are different countries that are starting to have government officials to be in charge of dealing with and looking into the long-term effects of loneliness on different cultures and society. Some researchers would say that loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking cigarettes. You see, I think when we look at Scripture, we recognize the fact that loneliness was never part of God's plan. Because loneliness tends to lead to hopelessness. That we were not created to live a life where all we do is feel hopeless, where we feel empty, where we feel alone. We talked a little about this last week, if you were here, when we talked about community. And we talked about this idea how when we look at the idea of God in himself, we, we oftentimes talk about him being the Trinity, God three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God works himself and lives himself in community. And when God created us, his creation, his sons and his daughters, he created us to be in community with him, and he created us to be in community with one another. You see, it's through community that we are both healed, but we're also hurt. It's through community that we have others to help share our burdens. It's through community that we can have others who will encourage us and remind us when we feel like we are alone, when we feel like all hope is gone, that we have others who physically, just their presence and their words can remind us that we aren't alone, that it's going to be okay. But that is the issue. Maybe you've had a moment before where when you are lonely. Have you ever noticed that most of the worst sins in our lives, the worst moments in our lives, at least for me, happened while I was alone. Most of the, the, the biggest moments of shame in my life happened while I was alone. You see, when we're alone, we begin to have this idea that this isolation keeps us uh, away from the voice of the one true God and we hear the voice of the enemy that tells us we're not enough, that tells us that no one wants us, that says that we are junk, that we are not worthy. Don't allow yourself to be alone. There's the beauty of the church, the family of God, that provides a physical manifestation, a representation of the presence of God himself. But that is what this season is all about. We celebrate the idea of God coming near to us so we don't have to be alone. Now let's talk about hope for a minute. In the Old Testament, there's two different parts of Scripture. There's the Old Testament, which is the story of God's creation and his relationship with his people in this ongoing cycle of a God who is faithful, trying to redeem and restore a broken relationship with his people, and yet his people continuing 
to mess it up. And then the New Testament is the story of Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and the early church. And these are the two parts of Scripture. Now, in the Old Testament, it's primarily written in a language called uh, Hebrew. And in, in Hebrew, uh, we find some different words that are used for hope. One of the words is yakal. Yakal is this word that just quite literally means to wait for. It's, it's this longing waiting for, like you're waiting for a train or you're waiting for uh, your flight or you're waiting uh, for your children to finally get ready. Uh, the other word that oftentimes is used is called kava, with a Q. And kava also means to wait but it has a little bit of a deeper meaning. You know, some of these words have sort of root words that help us better understand that. Kava comes from the root word kav. Kav was a cord. And it was the idea that there would be a cord that would be pulled tightly. And when there's this tightly pulled cord, there's tension. And at some point, when someone would tie something up with a cord, there obviously at some point would be a release. And so this idea of kava in, 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 in Hebrew, of this idea of hope, comes from this idea that there is this built-up tension to release. There's this same way of yakal, where it's also meaning that it is to wait for or to anticipate. But it's this idea that there's this built-up tension. And when we look at the story of the Old Testament, there is this built-up tension and expectation. That throughout the Old Testament... God used what we call prophets, which just means uh, a spokesperson for God, someone who, who God would send a message and that person would relay the message to the people. That there's this tension built up for the story to be completed, as Cordell read this morning. You see, there's this, there's this time period that scholars sometimes call uh, the intertestamental period, where there's about a 400-year gap from the last time that we have anything written in our Hebrew Bible, the end of the Old Testament, to when Jesus comes on the scene. Now, during that 400-year years, 400 year period, that doesn't mean that God isn't working. It doesn't mean that God is not speaking. But as far as we know, we have no written divine uh, message from God. We have no record of what's really going on in there. And again, that doesn't mean that something great wasn't happening. It doesn't mean that God wasn't moving. But there seems to be this moment of tension built up waiting for the arrival, the release, the kava to finally be broken. And so this morning, I want us to be reminded that when we think about hope, that hope should remind us that we aren't alone and we aren't meant to be alone. That in the design that God created each and every one of us, you and I were not made to be alone and we don't have to be alone. Now let's dive into some scripture this morning. In uh, Isaiah chapter 8, uh, we're reminded of this. It just says this, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope, or kava, for him. I will wait, and I will hope. Isaiah is writing in a period in which the Israelites are dealing with exile, where they're dealing with a time period where there's a lot of unknown. The period where, in a lot of ways, they probably could and should feel hopeless. And yet the prophet Isaiah reminds the people that we, in the midst of everything, when everything has been stripped away, when we have nothing of our own, when all we can do is seek the Lord, that we wait for the Lord, and that we should put our hope or our kava in Him. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read this, the, 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 the very famous prophetic 
words of the coming Savior. It just says this, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. There has been this tension, this hope, this expectation built up for the Israelite people. Now, I want to fast forward in the story of Scripture, okay? So Jesus is born. If you don't know this story, this is what happens. Jesus is born. He's born in a stable. All of these crazy circumstances. We're going to get to that in other messages. But in Luke chapter 2, it was traditional that after a few days that a uh, Jewish couple would take their newborn son and they would take them to the temple so they could be uh, presented, they could be circumcised, they could go through a bunch of ritual things. And as Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to the temple, they're stopped by two people, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. Both of them are old, old people. Scripture kind of reminds us that they obviously have been around for a long time. We don't know their exact age, but they have been through a lot. They're people who have probably seen uh, a lot of up and down for the Jewish people. They're people who have experienced the rise and falls of different empires and things of that nature. Yet they were people who had their hope built and set upon the promises of God. And in particular, the promise that a Savior was coming. And Scripture reminds us, you can go read it uh, yourself in Luke chapter 2, that Anna and Simeon both, they celebrated with joy because they had been told by God, that they would not perish before the Savior would arrive. And they threw a party. Now what's interesting about this is the Savior who has came looks nothing like the Savior that most people would have thought. Yet it didn't matter because for them, they were seeing hope in flesh. They were quite literally seeing something that they had waited for. Something that felt as if maybe it would never come. Something that just felt like they could they could burst at their seams just waiting, longing. I mean, have you ever had that in your life, where you are just waiting for something to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but you are just waiting. And they just overflow with joy because they were patient, because they were faithful, because their hope was put in God. You see, honestly, many of us, if you want to understand where a person is at, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I would say where your hope is, there your heart will be also. For some of us this morning, our hope is set upon our relationships. Maybe it's with our children. Maybe it's with a significant other. For some of us, our our hope is set upon our own abilities. We have our hope set on this fact that we can do something that provides for our family. Or we can do something that gets praise and admiration from other people. For some of us, we have our hope set up on a political group or a political figure. For some of us, we have our hope set uh, uh, on even just our own selves. We've been so used to doing things on our own that we're betting on ourselves. And our hope is distinctly put there. Friends, I just want to let you know, if your hope is put in anything other than Jesus Christ, you don't stand a chance against the schemes of the devil. 
There is nothing that you can do on your own to save yourself. There's nothing that you can do, no matter what, to try to measure up to do all these things. And the great news is that you don't have to. The great news is that a Savior has arrived, and the Savior doesn't look like how you probably want or how you would probably picture, but he is here. You see, hope isn't an idea, and it isn't a concept. Hope is a person. Jesus is hope in the flesh. And this morning, I don't know what your story is, but I want you to know that you can stop putting your hope in things that leave you broken and disappointed. You can stop trying to measure up to what you think the world, what you think your family, what you think others are expecting of you. You can stop trying to work out your own salvation as Paul would write. But instead, allow the Savior of the world, the Messiah who has came here, to take care of you. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John writes this. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world he was made through him. The world did not recognize him, and he came that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor human origin, or decision, or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. In the Gospel of John, when he writes about the word, the word means Jesus. And when we read about this, we are reminded that the light came into this world, and yet the world did not recognize it. In fact, the people who were clamoring for help, who were clinging and hoping for hope, the people who had been distant from God, yet would cling on to his promises when it was convenient, <coughs> excuse me, did not recognize him. In some ways, arguably, did not want him. Now, in the story of Home Alone, one of my favorite parts, one of my favorite characters is old man Marley. Now, if you want to geek out weirdly with me sometime, find me after service, and I'll tell you uh, how old man Marley is actually Kevin McAllister from the future, come to save himself. It's a different story. It doesn't go well with the theme of this message, though. Um, (coughs) Shouldn't have eaten popcorn before this. But think about in the movie. Throughout the movie, old man Marley is seen. And everyone kind of fears him. Everyone makes up stories about him. Everyone kind of casts him aside. No one really wants to be around him. And there's all these rumors about him. And in one of my favorite scenes, which is beautiful, Kevin finds himself at a church. He's, he's lost all hope. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And so where does he go? He goes to church. And there he finds old man Marley. And him and uh, old man Marley begin to have these discussions about reconciliation, about forgiveness, about family. And it's from there that Kevin begins to have some burst of confidence. And yet the issue becomes, though, Throughout the movie, I don't know why Kevin never just called the police, by the way. That's a different story. It probably would have just been a short movie. But even after Kevin meets old man Marley, he still doesn't ever think to ask the man for help or seek out anything like that. He still leaves thinking that he could do things on his own. And that's when he goes home and he gets everything ready. And his plan is honestly pretty flawless. It's perfect. 
except for one issue that he doesn't expect. Watch this video, and we're going to talk about it. My favorite part of that scene, other than the fact that, let's be honest, they, they should have won some awards for all of their sound effects and things like that. But one of my favorite things about that scene, and I never realized it until I watched it again uh, preparing for this message, is did you hear old man Marley? He comes in, he defeats the enemy, he saves the day, and he picks up Kevin, and he says, come on, let's get you home. This morning, I want you to know that we all need a Savior. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No single person in this room can measure up and do things on their own. We all need a Savior, but the good news is that He is here, and He has come to take you home. He's come to take you home to be in the presence of your Heavenly Father. And it's not because of anything that you could ever do to earn that or deserve that, but it's because of His grace. It's because in the Old Testament... It ends with this story, with this idea that there is this tension, there is this hope waiting for the Savior to come. And in the New Testament, and for us followers of Jesus or those who just are living on this side of the empty tomb, our hope is already here. Our hope is in a person. And our hope is eventually spending eternity with our Father. In Romans Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he wrote this. He says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will have hope. And he just says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know your story, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you have done, and I don't know what has been done to you. But this morning, I want you to know that there is hope. I want you to know this morning that you are not alone, that the God of all the universe loved you so much, not because you're perfect, not because you listen well, not because you could ever measure up, because he is a good father. And a good father will do anything for their children. You know, as I was watching Home Alone again, I used to always focus and identify with Kevin because I kind of looked like Kevin and I was a little ornery like Kevin. And even though the mom is a hot mess, there is something beautiful about the mom in this movie who, despite the odds being against her, she continually pursues getting home to be with her son. And may you know that the God of all the universe continues to pursue after you. He continues to come for you because his greatest desire is for you to be home. Would you guys stand? We're going to sing one more song. And after that, we're going to have a baptism. and We're going to celebrate the goodness of new life in Jesus. But as we go into prayer, would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you just take a moment to allow the God of all the universe to speak words of hope to you? Father God, we thank you for the fact that, God, you loved us so much that you didn't leave us in the dark. That you sent your son Jesus into this world so that the word of God would become flesh. That hope would no longer just be this idea, but that we would have it in a person. That grace and love would be displayed on the cross and through an empty tomb.
God, this morning I pray for those in this room, God, maybe this is their first time ever really hearing about the goodness of your son Jesus. Maybe this is the first time them hearing about the love that he has for them. God, I pray this morning that, God, walls could be broken down. That if they feel hopeless, that if, God, they feel as if they are unworthy, that, God, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would speak words of life and hope to them. That they would be reminded that they are a son, they are a daughter, and that you have came to bring them home. God, this morning some of us may have wandered astray. God, we know of your hope, but we don't live out that hope. God, we live as hopeless people. God, this morning, reinvigorate our hearts with your hope. God, this morning, maybe some of us need to rededicate ourselves to the promises of God by promising ourselves to you. God, whatever is going on in any of our lives this morning, God, as we sing this song, would you just speak words of hope, words of life, and words of grace over us? God, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.